Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. This is our review of Missing in Action, starring Chuck Norris, M. Emmett Walsh, David Tress, Leonor Kastroff, Ernie Ortega, and James Hong. Directed by Joseph Zito, released in 1984 on either $1.5 million or $3 million budgets. The cocaine market's volatile, kids. But it grossed $52 million <laughs> at the box office and had two sequels, though there's definitely a story to that. Ron, I feel like we've danced around Missing in Action since you came on this show back with the American Ninja review. So what's your story with this movie, man? It's weird. Like, of the canon shot in the Philippines movies, this is the one I've probably watched the least. Um, I'm fairly sure that I've... I know I've seen it several times. It's hard to forget. Um, you know, but uh, it's not... If, I'm go- if I was going to watch an action movie, it was going to be Ninjas uh, back then. And as much as I do like Chuck Norris and did enjoy Chuck Norris's movies, you know, I was a ninja kid. Uh, I, I don't know how else to explain it. If you do enough martial arts um, you're and watch enough Ninja Turtles, you're going to want to be a ninja kid. So that was that was always my default choice. But Chuck was a good standby, especially for like my dad or my family when it was VHS movie rental time. Yeah, I, I, fun fact, by the way, I've never seen a single Ninja Turtle movie, anything. The most Ninja Turtle thing I've ever seen was the Vanilla Ice video. I've never seen any of the Ninja Turtle stuff. So maybe someday we can break the ice on that. I mean, uh, there's but, one coming out, apparently. So maybe. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they seem to crank a new one out every eight or nine years. But uh, this was definitely one of those that got like VHS rental because my older brother was much more aware of Chuck Norris than I was when this came out. He had seen the octagon and I think he had seen him in Bruce Lee movies and he knew who he was. And so my dad rented this thinking, Oh yeah, this is like, you know, fun teenage and non teenage boy. This is boy movie action. Right. And it definitely was. And, uh, then I think not long after that, or maybe a year or so after, I can't remember what I saw missing, missing in action to the beginning on like Showtime or something. And I thought, Oh wow. What, what's a prequel? I had no idea only to come to find out years later. Like they actually wanted that one to be the first movie and then realized that it was a piece of crap and decided, no, let's go with this one as the, uh, as the initial release. So what's, what's the story behind that? Cause I think Braddock missing in action three is like, it's total is a total different thing than missing in action and missing in action to the beginning. Uh, Braddock Missing in Action 3 was, I believe, directed by Aaron Norris, Chuck's brother. Um, but I will say that what happened was they took Missing in Action to, or they took Missing in Action 2, the movie we know as Missing in Action 2, to test screenings and it bombed hard. People just hated it. And they said, well, we've already filmed these two movies back to back. We, If we roll this one out first, it's going to kill the franchise. We're just going to have a dud on our hands regardless. So let's do the second one first because it's the better one. Yeah. In the hands of uh, Joseph Zito of uh, Friday. And, and the Invasion fame. USA fame and other Golan Globus type projects. 
Yeah, he was a he was a go to. Uh, yeah, look, you know, and look, the, his Friday the Thirteenth. I will argue to anybody that if you've never seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie, you really should just start with that one and maybe end with it too. I mean, because if you just want a a Jason movie, yeah. well, four gives you all of it. Like you get the little flashbacks from the other ones, and you get the most competently made looking one of that paramount set in a lot of ways before I mean, you don't get Kane hotter and all that stuff, but I don't know that you, that's a different era Jason. As we say, like if you, you, know, you want prime Jason. I think that's, he made the, the fun one and the good one. And I liked invasion USA. I thought it had a lot more going on than maybe your standard, you know, dumb action movie or that it was put it as. And this movie was definitely a hot button, man. 1984, we were still very raw about Vietnam in culture and in everything and pop culture was starting to reflect that you know things like first blood and um you know movies like this and the deer hunter had been out a few years before but i mean we you know we we were still grappling with what that meant and when you throw in a guy like chuck norris in this movie where it's i mean this is as ronald reagan as you get an action movie from the 80s is we're gonna go get them and uh, you know well you know, you know. No, the, I do the not. That's what I was about to this, ask right? you: is it what is there a backstory to this? Chuck Norris's brother died in Vietnam. Uh, not Aaron, obviously. So I did not. No, I did not know old, he had his older one, brother. So this is news. Uh, who's, okay. Whose name escapes me? Died in uh, died in Vietnam in 1970, and he told Chuck, who was also in the, I believe Chuck was also in the military yeah. around this time too, a little bit later, but. Um, he told Chuck, I'm going to die over here. I'm not going to come back. And he was right. And uh, after that happened, Chuck uh, always ended up carrying kind of a, a torch for Vietnam veterans and um, MIAs and KIAs from Vietnam in that era. Kind of like how um, uh, John Wayne always felt guilty that he didn't do anything in World War II except, you know, ride horses. And he didn't even bother to join like the the actors corps or whatever, and so he made the Green Berets in like 1970 to kind of glorify the guys fighting in Vietnam and and all that stuff. Well, the same same kind of deal with Chuck Norris. It 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 turned him right wing or further right wing and made him a very rah rah Reagan sort of dude because you know he saw what happened to those veterans and he saw how they were treated and he saw how his brother died. Um, and felt little to no like support for uh, going to fight in a war that he didn't necessarily. No, and that's for. an excellent point. I did not know that at all, and it it actually adds a lot more weight to this because much like I think Invasion USA devolves into this like action set piece and just this one man army taking on this other guy. There's actually a lot going on there that we talked about in our review all those years ago, and there's a lot in this movie that is definitely hitting a nerve. It's kind of like if you, if you only think of Rambo from the caricature of John Rambo, but you don't know the story of first blood. And you know, the guy that wrote that David Morrell was a college professor and he wrote it about ex vets that were in his class and not that any of them you know, were John Rambo, but he would talk to them and got to wondering like, man, if the way these guys are getting treated, it's awful. And what if one of them snapped, you know? And so the fact that, that Norris has such a, a close tie to this uh, adds a lot more gravity to it because this is a story definitely that is not just pro flag waving America or whatever, but it's very much a, we took people over there 
a lot against their will. That was the last draft we had and as a, as a country, and a lot of them didn't come back, and we didn't bother to explain to anybody why. And we kind of just washed our hands of it and, and walked in a lot of ways. At least that was some of the perception. And so to use that as a vehicle for a, a movie about like a one man making a difference, you know, and in a lot of ways it is, let's take an American ninja and put him in a, in a James Bond kind of rescue situation. It's not a bad vehicle. It's not a terrible wrong headed idea. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of Chuck Norris's choices uh, have been made because he saw how people were treating these returning veterans. And it wasn't just in, it was it wasn't just the indifference for the politicians. It was active hate from, you know, hippies and the anti-war movement and in some places anyway. And I imagine all it takes is one dude in the crowd to spit on a soldier to, you know, get Chuck Norris riled up. <laughs> yeah. In general, just because. It's probably a, it, it would have to be a very sore subject for somebody if your brother went off to this. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, if your brother went off to this war and, and you know died in some jungle. Yeah. Um, so it, in a, in a way, it's it's definitely his um, his reaction to this is not necessarily one of you know I hate yeah. these dirty hippies, and it's also not one of uh, you know. Uh, these politicians are the cause of all these problems. It's very much a, uh, all you people well, have abandoned them. I, well, and, and he's also the not the Tom Berenger, you know, psychotic Sergeant character from platoon that would come a few years later where he's just mowing down villagers and stuff like that. I mean, they, they go out of their way in this movie to like him talking with that one villager. We'll talk about that scene when it comes up, but they kind of go out of the, the, their way to show that like, no, Chuck's a soldier and he's just fighting other soldiers. And this is, you know, a war and all this stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's neat that there was such a backstory to this, but we, we, I think we, we've, we've sent this down a much more serious tone. This feels like very NPR today uh, for film strip, because this is a golden globus movie after all, which means there's mounds of cocaine involved. So they made two movies back to back. So that's, that sounds like the economy of purpose that is Golic Globus and Canon Films. Today we're going to talk about the Chuck Norris magnum opus that is Missing in Action produced in 1984 on a budget of $1.3 <laughs> $1. million. It is one of the enduring classics of the Chuck Norris genre and is one of the main reasons why the Chuck Norris meme took off in the early 2000s. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. <laughs> All things considered, Chuck Norris <laughs> is brought to you by Wickles Pickles uh, or, or whatever. <laughs> this is the first thing I think of. Think of. All things can. All things considered, Chuck Norris is brought to you by <laughs> the Rand <laughs> Corporation, the Rand Corporation. We caused Vietnam. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, which is what's funny about it, man. But uh, yeah, no, I look and and how and and also a grant from the Halliburton Group. Halliburton, we're just straight up Cobra. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know that we can even go beyond that. That may be the best line of the show at this point. I wow. <laughs> so well, I guess I should just do a plot summary that we can get into this thing. Uh, <laughs> it's so much impossible. But are you? But are you? Uh, no, I can't. I don't really have an NPR voice. So, so I'm just gonna. <laughs> but I am gonna cop to this. 
So I watched this movie and I'm sitting there going like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do the plot summary of this. So I'm writing it down and I go, hmm, what's this movie really about? The military industrial complex. You know what is an offspring of that that is we're all grappling with here in 2020 now? AI. So I asked Chat GPT and Bard Google to oh. write this plot summary, and this is what it gave me. <laughs> That's very Army Colonel James Braddock played by Chuck, of course, is still haunted by his experiences in the Vietnam War, where he's held prisoner for seven years. And while he claims there are many other POWs still in the country, politicians and the Vietnamese government work to push the narrative that all were released. Braddock goes along with a senator and his staff to Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon, to participate in an investigative committee about missing soldiers, and he recognizes a ruthless North Vietnamese officer who tortured him, then played by the venerable Ernie Ortega, and General Tran, played by James Hong, leaves these talks where they claim Braddock was only held because he is a war criminal. Braddock uses his blonde ninja skills, I added that part, to comfort the to com- confront the general that night and find out where the missing soldiers are, a camp just 8K or five miles for you Yankees from the coast. Braddock stabs the general while when he pulls a gun and nearly escapes Vin and the soldiers looking for him. Braddock leaves the next morning and goes to Bangkok where he connects with his old army buddy, Jack Tuck Tucker, played by M. Emmett Walsh, who is working as a smuggler nightclub Jerry Bus, I don't something. And then he and Braddock acquire um, uh, weapons and vehicles and prepare for an all-out assault and rescue mission on the camp while Vin and his men stay in pursuit. Braddock actually fights with Vin and uses an axe to kill him. Braddock and Tuck infiltrate the POW camp where Braddock leads a one-man assault only to learn that the soldiers were moved earlier as the camp was tipped off by Vin and his men. Tuck and Braddock intercept the convoy and rescue four POWs. Tuck holds off an attacking patrol boat and sacrifices himself so Braddock and the prisoners of war can reach an escape helicopter, which destroys the boat. Braddock and his group arrive at the hearings just during final statements where they expose the Vietnamese lies by bursting into the press room and credits roll. And thank you so much for AI and a little bit of humorous interjection by me for that plot summary. One night in Bangkok makes Chuck Norris humble. We're just going to keep that bit up going all night now, I guess. <laughs> I, I had forgotten something about this movie, though, Ron, that um, I made a note of it when I was watching it. Did, did you forget? Well, I did forget that because I was like, M.M. and Walsh, the venerable character actor, M.M. Walsh, who's, I mean, probably most, no- I don't know if he's most known. A lot of people will remember his role in Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers movie, and he's ex- excellent in that movie. But I don't mm-hmm. know that I've ever seen the guy give a bad performance, even in a lousy movie. Like, he's just showing, and he's still, like, working to this day. So he's still with us. He's just an incredible performer. And he's, Yo, he's, he's great he is in awesome movie. in this movie. Spoiler we'll get to alert. him. But the nearly 10 minutes, almost wordless battle flashback that is basically the live action G.I. Joe <laughs> thing here. But except the, there's not lasers, there's actual bullets hitting people. And it I had forgotten that this movie starts that way because I felt like it started much slower and quieter and then ramped up to that. And I felt like, oh, all the battle stuff you're remembering is in part two, because I'd seen that movie a lot, even as, as bad as it is. It's a lot of action to it. And no, this one opens up with like this action flashback, but it ends with Chuck throwing two pins off of, of hand grenades and jumping off of a, a hut into a, a, I don't know, mosh pit of uh, Vietnamese uh, soldiers that he's going to take out with two grenades. And he wakes up with banquet beer and, and Spider-Man on the television. Which is funny because uh, Joseph Zito was a huge Spider-Man fan. And this was the time that Canon got the rights to do a Spider-Man movie that was supposed to be done by Joseph Zito. 
that's why Spider-Man is what Chuck Norris watches. Yes. In this movie, because yes, well, you know what? synergy. I'll, I'll tell you, that, that did put a smile on my face because I loved those cartoons as a kid and Iceman and Firestar and all that. I loved all of them. Uh, she she may have been one of my original redheaded crushes. I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's hard to trace them all back. But probably Cherry Valance from, from <laughs> Outsiders, maybe the original because Diane Lane is the original mm. of everything. But, uh, you know, um, I... I Remember waking up with Lucas, and all I could think for myself was like, "Man, Braddock looks like he's good for somebody that only consumes like you know high gravity beer." You know, <laughs> so like there's no there's no light in the in the fridge. I'm like, man, I I can't do that. I'm like, I, I would have to run and work out more than I do if I tried to exist on the liquid only diet. Though I after I say that to you, I remember now you know Hulk Hogan talking about his steady diet before matches was like six Miller Lights, and then after was you know two Tylenol and twelve, and that that's what he existed on for about twenty years. I think if once you have the muscle mass of a Chuck Norris, calories are afraid to cling to your perfect yes. sculpted abs. <laughs> well, let's just let's be honest. He's not like no, super no. sculpted in this movie. What he looks like is yes. a professional fighter, yes. which is what he is. He he walks into this movie like he shows up in this movie with his shirt off several times, and I'm not like, oh wow, that's a great physique. I'm like, that's a dude who can take a punch, laugh it off. Yeah, you, you make a great pieces. point. It's something nobody really ever talks enough about professional fighters, especially the guys that fight in the higher weight classes of any combat sport. Their body mass has to be built to absorb so much damage. You know, like you look at a boxer and you look at a guy like Linus, Linus Lewis and you think, man, that's a big, tall, fat guy. And no, it's not. He's made out of nothing but rock. <laughs> you know, like you go hit one of the Klitschko's and then your hand will be in ER for weeks. Like they're, they're made of stone. Or just if you, if you want to hit a dude who's got a pot belly, go hit John yeah. Ruiz. Like <laughs> he's the most unimpressive looking dude on mm-hmm. the, in boxing, but my, he, it is like, yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's something to be said for having that mass and that girth and, and Chuck's not a big dude at all, but he's only like five, nine, five, ten. but he's, he doesn't look sculpted, but he looks like somebody that is definitely in shape and can kick your ass three ways to Sunday. And I, what I love in this movie is that they don't shy away from like, at no time does he ever like primp himself or anything he's just flowing golden mane and you know facial the whole time like it's it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah he is that one of the things i appreciate most about this movie is that chuck norris is absolutely no frills like the the character of braddock wouldn't primp wouldn't preen wouldn't like you know trim his chest hair or anything like that so Chuck Norris just walks in looking like Chuck Norris, like he's got the beard, he's got the, he's got the the sh- the shaggy golden mane, he's got chest hair, he's wearing like he's wearing jeans all and denim, a shirt. like he's it's just straight. Like it's the, pretty much the same outfit from Invasion USA. It's just denim on denim. It's very John Mellencampish of the day. <laughs> yeah, and and. um the little pink house was probably the name of the torture chamber he was in. And yeah, sadly, Hanoi yeah, Hilton. So. but I mean, yeah, we see him and he's not, he's not a beefcake or anything like you say, but he's definitely somebody who looks like he can handle himself. And I love that. There's the, the whole inciting piece here is we've got this political envoy going over to 
Vietnam to meet with the North Vietnamese. And they're really there as partial publicity stunt, but also because, again, the White House at that time, Congress, you know, the American public in some ways were demanding some answers about what's going on, where we're going, and we got to have a face to go with it. So we got to go get Colonel Braddock, who, I mean, just to think about the idea of a an army colonel who had been a prisoner for seven years and had gotten out, been released. However, you know, the, they don't really ever tell you this. If you watch the second movie, you know how it goes down, but they, uh, okay. They see, I, that see, I missed that part. So thank ago. you for, for dropping that. Cause I thought it was just, they were kind of hiding that to tease the second movie. It, it's literally, it's literally just a one note line. Like it's literally just kind of thrown away in, in the middle of a mm-hmm. scene is, almost an unimportant but but and and it really doesn't matter it's but you've got to have if we have this guy on as the face of it then it can sell it so that we can continue to do you know whatever nefarious rand corporation shit that they were going to do anyway you know (laughs) i mean that's that's what this is all about let's not kid ourselves so um you know i mean this is this is precursor to robocop and omnicorp and all that but that's been going on forever well 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 colonel braddock have you heard of a little thing called the uh, Neither have I. Hundreds. Anyway, so, so, uh, mommy, mommy says they're going to help us fight the no, commies. That was when Jupiter was in Mercury or something. But, but yeah, get, did you know that they put Mercury in Gatorade? <laughs> that that leaned it a little bit into Trump. I just want you to know that that, that, that impression slipped just a little. So. <laughs> Uh, all of my impressions is it, well, I mean, because they're all bad. I, I don't think but that's bad. part of the they're, fun. They're part. It's part of the charm. Anyway, they bring him over there to be the face of it, and I love how he's just so stone cold about it the whole time. And and it's just like yeah. before before we go too far into what you're trying to say, Jay. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. One of the things that stuck out to this movie immediately was you never see Braddock in a uniform. No, he's never in a uniform. Mm-hmm. He's not in his dress uniform. He doesn't act like he's ashamed of his time in the military, but it's a time that has that has passed him. Aside from the only thing he's really got going on is he's going on TV to make appearances to get people to talk about finding right. these missing soldiers. So he has left his military behind. Like if if this had been a Seagal movie, like a Seagal movie from 1992, we would have gotten a oh, shot of course. Of him yeah, he he would have had on his his full whites or whatever. And, yeah, so. With his incongruous long hair flowing in the breeze and his girdle straining <laughs> to keep those keep those butt heavies in place. Yeah. You know. But no, there's no the thing about Chuck Norris is he you can argue that he's flat, right? You can argue that he doesn't have traditional charisma because he's not the lead he's not a leading man type. He is an action movie dude. And at no point does he like say, you know, do anything to make himself look attractive. At no point does he do anything to make himself seem, you know, smooth or funny or charismatic. He he'll throw a wry quip out there now and then. And his comedy comes entirely from his dead face. And he could, do you know who his modern day counterpart to me is Jason Statham. This is Jason Statham. Jason Statham was an athlete. I mean, he was an, he was a college athlete. He's a diver. Go look that up sometime and just be impressed. By the way, because oh my goodness, now he's sculpted to death. But yeah. he, he he gets off on being the heavy, quiet, sort of slow burning, every now and then a quip dude in the room. Even in the goofiest movies he's in, and in the best ones he's in, yeah, and in the best ones he's in, 
crank, you know, um, uh, transporter, you know, so yeah. So also break too. Yeah. Some of those things that he's in, it works because he's at slow burn. And I think you, that you're right to call that out. Chuck Norris does not have Arnold's like charisma. You know, Arnold's not an actor, but he's, he's got charisma for a million years and he doesn't have Stallone's sort of chutzpah and his whole thing, you know, but he works because he's, you just feel like underneath the surface, there's like this powder keg ready to go, you know? And when it does, it's not that it's going to be loud and boisterous. It's going to be so quick and so violent. I mean, when we get to see him finally kill somebody here, I mean, it's, it's exactly what you think it is. I mean, I, I wrote in my notes that like Chuck Norris becomes the white ninja or the blonde ninja or something. And he basically avoids, but he makes all more manner of noise and no one hears him because he just is a complete silent thing. But I love that in this movie that they let him, use what he was good at. He could do all of that stuff. And let's, let's put him in situations where he doesn't have to talk a lot because we don't need him to talk. His feet will do the talk. In every scene he's in, and I don't know if this is just how he, ha- how he carries himself or if this was a deliberate choice he made or what he moves like a Cobra. You ever watched yeah. like nature yeah. footage? Yeah. Of Very a cobra? deliberate. Yeah. How you, they move very deliberate. They move slower than you think they are until it's time to move fast. And when they move fast, it's quick. It's devastating. There's no 18, 15 punches getting thrown. He grabs a, he'll grab a guy by the mouth, drag him into the bushes and break his neck. Or he'll grab a guy, throw him to the ground and pulverize his head with a hammer fist. Like it's the, it's the ultimate action movie economy of motion. Like, the things Chuck does, he does them because it's the time to do these things. The, it, the, no, at no point does it feel like, you know, when Van Damme does the splits or something, and it's like, hey, look, it's time to show off the thing I can do. It's it's all like Braddock is going to grab this guy and kill him as quietly well, as possible. Well, I mean, possible. you can see why Bruce Lee took to this guy, you know, in a lot of ways. But you you could see, that like, oh, yeah, this this guy understands the economy of – movement and in a lot of ways martial artists i mean the best of them are about that it's not about swinging wild you know it's about i need three inches and as much speed as i can get behind it and and a small amount of torque to do the damage i do and i think you're right call it a cobra you know cobra looks like this big kind of lumbering snake until it doesn't want to and all it takes is one bite because why do 10 when you could just do one you know and and it's very very toxic and but i I love how he's he's still slow burning like through the movie i mean we meet like you know he's got the the senator's press secretary or whatever that the uh, soap opera actors was from and and that guy who's just the typical congressional weasel you know um there and you like the first thing they do when they get him off the plane is of course he's going to meet one of his mortal enemies general vin and I, I texted you i was like well it's 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 not it's clearly not <laughs> vietnam and you're like no why do that when the philippines will do it i'm like yeah and why hire real asians when you can just get latinos that was before i saw james hogg show up but i was like yeah ernie ortega plays like multiple dimensions of things here i that was it was the 80s i don't i'm not offended <laughs> but i did think it was neat to see him though 
know, because I've seen him as a heavy in so many things, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was he's like, a, oh, yeah, you know, heavy. this guy's like a bastard. Just the second you look at him. And I love that they, they haven't seen each other in presumably at least seven years, maybe longer. Right. And you see that he's the one that like cut Chuck across the chest with the knife when he was torturing him in the camp and stuff like that. And, you know, they had him hung up in the, you know, mock crucifixion and all that stuff. And it, it, I mean, if, you know, oh yeah, we know that guy is going to die and die real hard. Oh yeah. And you know, he's the dangerous guy. Right. You know, he's one of the which dudes is that's weird because be, I thought be ultimately this would, would lead up to James Hong will be the big boss that we have to get to eventually. And this is the little boss, but they, they flipped that completely the way around. And neither of these guys are the boss. The boss is the camp is as it were. And James Hong goes out pretty quick, but, but uh, yeah, Ben here is so, Again, just so sinister and just the, the way these guys are glaring at each other. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, man. Cause it's just, it's just so much fun. I mean, it's not, it is not good thespian work. I'm not going to say today it was, but for what this movie's asking them to do, they're, they're pulling it off. They're making it work. I mean, uh, say what you want to about, uh, the thespian work of, um, the non James Hong people in this, but James Hong understands his, his assignment to be a little weaselly uh, career officer, diplomat, uh, paper I mean, pencil pusher type. Oh no, he, he is totally exactly the, the vibe Senator that I'm getting Porter, off of David Tress's counterpart. Like they are the same person. He's just, he's wearing the military uniform because that's the culture and, and how you would get into that level of power there. But they're the same person. You're exactly right. They are, they are the pencil pushing Weasley bureaucrats of their own system and society, you know, and they've got their own people to, to utilize along the way, you know, Vin here, we'll get tuck later. And, you know, Ann Fitzgerald, I mentioned Leonore Castro. Uh, it's just kind of there for eye candy among other things. She has like, she's, she's leaves the movie and like, you know, 10 minutes into it. I did. I didn't remember this until I looked her up though on IMDb. I forgot this was Johnny Rico's mom from a starship trooper. So I was like, Oh, now I know that face. Yeah. Right. So. Wow. <laughs> I would. Well, she was on Guiding Light, like so more. I can tell you that. I knew she was on a soap opera. I couldn't remember which one, but uh, but it was, she's looked like she said that look like you were on a Moonlighting or a Dynasty or something. But um, and you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that 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 Harrison did yeah. give away that she did. But I, but I the, love this whole political plan ABC and getting him there and all that. And I love this whole um, opening presser, you know, but they bring in those like poor beaten down Vietnamese farmers, you know, that are just, there's just emaciating in a lot of ways. And I love that they give Norris that quiet moment to walk up and the guy starts talking Vietnamese to him and he speaks back to him and he's basically saying like, look, you know, this is, just, we're just doing this because they told us we had to. He's like, yeah, I know, I understand. Like, and I think that is in there for a purpose though, because that scene doesn't have any other purpose unless it's this, is to show us this is not an angry American going back to just whack all these foreign people. All right. That's not what this is about. And this is not one of these people that you've heard about who killed civilians. That was not who Braddock was. He, you know, he's being called a war criminal, but he's not one. He fought soldiers and you know, he obviously had relations, you know, good relations with the Vietnamese. And I think that's why that's in here. And I'll applaud this movie for having that in here because it's a ballsy choice. One in particular for the time and even for modern audiences and two for giving us that side of this character who could just be a caricature. 
Yeah, I thought that was a, a one of the more interesting um, sort of political moments of the thing. It's like, you know, they're parading us. The Vietnamese guys basically like we're being paraded around here by our government. And Chuck Norris is there because he's being paraded around by his government as some sort of show of, you know, unity or what have you. He, they're both there to be tools. Uh, it's just that Chuck Norris has no ulterior motive. And these poor, you know, people that they dragged in off the street or my what felt like to me yeah. was they were dragging these yeah, very people much in so. from a re-education camp. And this was this was a condition of them getting uh, allowed out of the re-education camp and back into normal society is like, here you go. Do, yeah. do, do your dance, your dance, t- tap, do your tap dancing. Just like we see me see those guys later yeah. who were um, South Vietnamese Black Panther Rangers um, when we get to the camp that were also there because yeah, they were yeah, just, no, totally. they just and were I, on the I wrong think side of the war. Again, this movie is smart to add that in because after this is when we're going to start getting into the action because we realize that Chuck Norris is like, okay, fine, I'll do your dog and pony show, but I'm clearly here on my own mission. And I know this guy knows what I'm talking about. He's talking about Tran. So I love when he goes over to uh, to Ann's uh, hotel room or suite or whatever, and he just starts stripping in front of her. And she's like, look, I wanted you to come up for a drink because I'm trying to get you to relax. It was just a little, little slow cowboy. And he's like, what? Oh, no, I'm not trying to come on to you. But I love that the eye candy of the movie, it, I mean, later there's a scene we'll talk about with her. But like, it, usually that's the other way around. And in this one, I'm like, no, it's going to be Chuck Norris doing the striptease. I thought that was kind of funny because he's got to put on his Black Ninja outfit, of course, uh, so that he can sneak around in the night. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun inversion of the expected trope. And it's um, kind of... It, it feels like to me, uh, Joseph Zito is basically acknowledging Chuck Norris's all business persona. Like he's not here to mess around with this lady. He's not here to, you know, dynasty. He's here to, he's here on a mission they don't know about. And she's just as, mm-hmm. she's as convenient a cover for him as the Senator or his black ninja gear yeah. or, uh, you know, his trip to Bangkok. Like she's there to serve a purpose for him. He's thinking on his feet. He's realizing, oh, if I go here and bring this bottle of champagne, I can crawl out her window and, and the guards will think I'm in here having fun. Exactly. And, and, and there, well, let's know, jump ahead real quick and we can come back to his prowling or whatever. But what he, when he comes back after the whole showdown with the general and everything, and he's trying to get back in the room, you, of course, she's startled by this or whatever. And he has this, this scene that, I'm not going to lie, I mean, I feel weird about it. But I also get it in the way it plays off. You can tell that they both, they already had a shorthand worked out. He like rips down one half of her night. He throws her in bed and acts like, you know, he didn't even have time to tell her, like, act like you're making out with me. Like they just going for it. And she's like, starts slapping him. And then here come all the guys with guns. And immediately she goes into mode. And I'm like, it's almost like they had a conversation that's not filmed where he tells her, like, if I run in this room real quick, please cover me for this. Because, of course, she would she would be in you know, hot grass, too, if uh, if you know anything went down. So, you know, she's got to cover her own self at, as, mm-hmm. as the senator's envoy. But I, I like the fact, though, that she's not just the damsel in distress and the eye candy of this. Like she's a willing participant playing along. And then she does give him a little bit of the tip before he goes to Bangkok about what to do. And it feels like, it feels like, weirdly, it felt like she had some kind of training. I, I feel, my whole thought was, 
thinking secretly, especially after she tips him off later about going to Bangkok. I feel like could she be like a CIA plant here to kind of nudge this weapon in the right direction to get him to do the task that we want him to do without, uh, you know, tipping him off or tipping off the Vietnamese. I don't, I don't know. This, this gives us you our would, plausible you deniability. Ta- I'm going to tell you my fails, theory. This is totally from my own head and it. pop culture and, and also uh, somewhat conspiracy theory uh, stuff is uh, she's a red sparrow. Uh, she's, she's a rusky. Uh, but 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 she is she is intelligence. I think I think mm. we're both out of that. She she's got intelligence background, but she's here working that side because you know what's you know what's really good about a cold war is when you don't actually shoot each other because <laughs> you can you can exert a lot more control and build that complex. <laughs> and you know yeah we allegedly outspent them. You know all that stuff. They had some other problems going on in Russia and still do to this day. But. I, I I took it like when I was just thinking like okay what's this woman's backstory because she disappears after the next morning we never hear from her again and and I'm like okay yeah she's a plant for somebody mm-hmm. and you know she probably it, it, being 1984 she probably would have been classed as CIA but nowadays if they remade this somehow or whatever I'm like nah she's Red Sparrow she's totally she's totally on the other side yeah she's she she's Carrie she Russell. would definitely that's, be a Russian agent if they remake, so, when they remake that's, this that's movie. who she is. And I like that thought because it would, uh, in the 80s is when China and Russia started, well, mm-hmm. the 70s is when China and Russia started to have their falling out between one another. And yep. they started to move against one another more openly, um, particularly mm-hmm. regarding yeah. their border, their various border disputes uh, back and forth. So that would be a very clever way to kind of throw a wrench into the uh, Vietnamese-Chinese um, partnership by uh because even today you know we depend a lot on china to keep uh, mm-hmm. vietnam and north korea in, in relative line i mean yeah. vietnam is, is has well, become a fairly stable country at this point but uh particularly north korea but they yeah they, well, and not to digress too far but it's like you and the guys talked Southeast about Asia. on the red dawn review you didn't review the newest one but you talked about it a little bit in in that show and i remember john milius who's a legitimate wild man uh but saying like that that remake was fine except the premise was totally stupid it made no political sense why would we go to war with china we we trade with them we we make money with each other <laughs> we're gonna do that it doesn't make any sense you know he said he would have done it with like mexico or something but he said there's no like advantageous reason for them to ever be totally militarily adverse with us because it, it cuts to their bottom line too. Which is yes, uh, the yes, cutting of the bottom so. line is why they edited it to become North Korea. Yes. Yeah, so, well, that movie was sloppy and poor. Very anyway, sloppily they cut and very poorly, I might add. Yeah, so. Having Oh, you, you did that, that too. I, screen, okay, yes, me and you, you both is, are, are uh, survivors of Red Zone in a theater. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. So well, I, I had to because Denim Geek asked me to. I uh, did. You, well, you're, no, you're, you're at the time, to, volunteer to go for all the way back, we were going to do a twofer with uh, me. I think me and Nick or me and Brian were going, and I had I saw it and I just oh. said, no. I was like, nah, we're not doing it. I said, I can't review this. It's so bad. And I said, and I don't want to talk about that other one in light of this. So, you know, years later, you came around and did that one, thankfully. But, but no, I think that's what's going on. But to back up now to the, the ninja mission, the blonde ninja on the loose, I call it. I love that we get this and that the movie takes time to let all this happen because it's, it's so well shot, too. I 
got to give Joseph Zito a lot of credit. There's tons of those like standard shots where somebody like turns left and then they turn back right. And all of a sudden the thing they wanted to see goes right by them. You know, it's just that, that old trope and I, and they pay no attention to the following power lines and all this other crap going on. I, I thought it was great. And when he sneaks into James Hong's bedroom, and he's got that knife up to your throat, man. That's that. That was good. I I had a good time with that. That um that is slasher bona fides right there. That is one hundred percent. And that is one of the more that is one of the more scary Chuck Norris shots. Just him coming out of the darkness like that, and that knife. That's be- it's beautifully done, and you know. He's kind of a workman-like director. He's done a lot of stuff, and he's been involved in a lot of projects. But, you know, there's a reason dudes like this can come in and give you an on-time, under-budget action movie. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for the choices that are made, um, be they made for economical reasons or stylistic reasons. But that and that whole uh, interaction between the two of them in the bedroom just works perfectly to me. And that's a great use of... Little Weasley. Oh, oh it James is, Con- but but or, I'll or tell you what I loved about it, and what I thought I was going to get was like, okay, this is Bond villain time. Hong's going to be like pissed about this, and then he'll come back in the end, and they'll have a showdown or whatever. Because I, I had totally forgotten this movie and haven't seen it when I was a kid. Uh, because spoiler alert, I've seen part two way more than I've seen this one for reasons I'll never be able to explain. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> that reason is showtime and a VHS. Play. The, that reason, uh, is but showtime. anyway, I. I thought he would come back and the fact that he pulls a gun on Chuck and Chuck, of course, you know, throws that knife like right through him. It's great squib work, man, just blood all over the the white sheets. I was like, Oh man, we killed like the big bad in the first 40 minutes of this movie. What's going on? I did not see that coming at all. Yeah, that was, um, I don't know if, James Hong just had a hard out to go do another project or what, but um, that was, yeah, yeah, you're right. They set him up to be the big bad villain because he's the smiling face that meets Chuck Norris at the airport. Right. And he's clearly some sort of mover and shaker in Vietnamese politics, but then no, he gets a knife like through the chest and they, they don't do blood it's because CGI blood does not look as well as I'm they sorry, did. Sorry, it just doesn't. It never will. I no, except no substitutes for Cairo syrup and some food coloring. Um, so I, I think uh, it just looks good, and then it puts him on the run. He's got to outrun the authorities to get back to his hotel suite, and he's got to sneak into this heavily guarded place. And pull, the fact that he pulls that off is it's pretty heart stopping and amazing. It, for an action scene that has not a lot of action to it, it it works as a good chase. It's a good like yeah, it's a good it's a lot of good skulking. I appreciate somebody that can move stealthy, and I appreciate the fact that they're like he's not going to be able to just Stallone style shoot his way out of this because there's no way one dude can outshoot, you know, a battalion of the Vietnamese army because, <laughs> which is funny because that, just keep throwing dudes a, at him until he gets too tired that to kill they them. abandoned in the back half of the movie. We'll so, um, so yeah, 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 true, true. Yeah. But that at least makes sense because he's got the element of surprise, right? And he, mm-hmm. 
and he you know arms the Black Panther the uh, Black Panther Rangers, and he arms the dudes that are there with him, and of course he's got a um, yeah. That, uh, the M60 is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's the, the, hand, the, the, the machine gun out of the, 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 the iconic gun, scene for which, this movie, as it were, and maybe yeah. of Chuck Norris's career, which is saying something. But this does lead us though to one of the one of my favorite parts of this whole movie, where we introduce Tuck, uh, M. Emmett Walsh, when he comes into this thing as this again, I, I call him this Jerry Bus esque ex vet you know, gun runner dude or whatever. I love this man. He's so, he just eats the scenery up and you believe every word he says. And he's such a chameleon as an actor. I just, I I just love a good character actor like this. So Emmett Walsh comes into this movie and I pause it and I look at my (laughs) wife and I say, I missed my calling. I should have been a greasy sleazy character actor guy in a Hawaiian shirt and action movies. Like I should have been like the Emmett Walsh of the two thousands. I feel like this is a little bit of a riff off of Magnum. I I should definitely do that. Who was not Higgins, but the other one. Uh, So uh, from the Selleck show, I I really feel like they're kind of playing with that uh, a little with here, but you've got to have a sidekick. Like every, every Mm -hmm. buddy movie has to have the the sidekick. And what I love about this guy is that again, I mean, he's just a Lothario completely, but he is connected, you know, and, and he's got his stuff together. And, you know, when they have their little fight, you know, and they screw around, it's just, um, it's neat to see movies where you, there are two characters that clearly have a shorthand and they're never going to explain all of it to you. And I actually appreciate that nowadays. I think there's, they, they spend too much time mm-hmm. telling you all of it uh, and, or, and trying to show you all of it in, you know, multiple flashbacks and stuff. When you just, you just get people that can, you know, chemistry wise, pull off the dialogue and it works. And I mean, again, that's, that's a happy accident here because golden Globus either has a million and a half dollars, $3 million funding this movie. They don't know. And so Joseph Zito is just shooting what he's got, but uh, these two guys are really elevating this. And I give a lot of that credit to Walsh, who's again, just such a, an incredible performer. And he knows how to bounce off of that Chuck Norris energy. He knows how, his reactions to the things Chuck Norris says retroactively yeah, make yeah. those lines funny rather than what they could have been, which was terrifying because <laughs> Chuck Norris says, yeah, right. Give me three, I, we're going to do this for $3,000 or I'm going to shoot mm-hmm. you. That's terrifying. But when Emmett Walsh is responding to that and clearly able to clearly comfortable enough to kind of, kind of needle back at him mm-hmm. while still acknowledging the you know genetic superiority that is Chuck Norris, it it makes those scenes really pop. And you're right; if they do a remake of this, we're going to get a long oh, he's totally, backstory he's, about he's how Tuck totally was running guns for the CIA man. or Come Tuck on, is a CIA operative or whatever. <laughs> More CIA stuff. Yeah, he's 100 yeah, percent coded yeah, as. as yeah. Well, he's already established as running like what was he running cigarettes in you know Vietnam? What? You know, so let's he's just tie all running together. heroin out around the same time. Vietnam, he into is Southeast Asia um, General McAllister and Mister Joshua's uh, supplier for lethal weapon. Oh yeah, he is definitely fun now. 
I want Shane Black. He's definitely funneling stuff for or involved in the funneling of the I don't want him to direct it. I just want him to write the script. So I feel like that would that would make this perfect. Again, I think I think we just need to get I'll a director. I'll allow him to direct it, it but only if he has a get really a director there. You know, you need mind. you need the guy that they had do that RoboCop remake that did those uh, incredible uh, Brazilian cop movies. Gosh, I'm forgetting. It's Joseph Padilla or Jose Padilla or whatever his name is. But um, that, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, Jose. I think it's Jose Padilla. But yeah, yeah. he would, he would make a. Yeah, uh, I, I love that guy's uh, stuff. And when I saw that RoboCop remake as a, side, as a sidebar, um, I thought, you know, this is good. I don't know why people hate it. And I went and looked up his other work and I was like, holy smokes, this guy's amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think people if wanted that movie it wasn't called RoboCop, the, it would have been more successful. Just the remake of the Verhoeven, and wisely, this guy was like, "No, that's a bad idea. We're going to do something different." And and then he got Gary Oldman and and uh, Michael Keaton to just chew scenery for for an hour and a half, which is yeah. uh, great. Elite Squad were the movies I was trying to think of. If you haven't seen the the Elite Squad flicks, I highly recommend them. Uh, they're very very yeah, they're very good. But yeah, oh yeah, some hundred percent. Oh but, yeah, yeah, all like, day. Yeah, and that's the, those two and Jackie Earl Haley is like the sleazy weapons guy. <laughs> that's who is one hundred percent just like a murder salesman, which is mm-hmm. just the most phenomenal way to take yeah. a character like that. But that's what I love about this when they're doing that. The He's armor like thing, and then they're going to buy like the it's impenetrable really raft from hell or whatever. Like it looks like it's painted like grease lightning and, and shit. But everybody in this movie is is except Chuck is cigarettes and sweat. You know, and I'm like, it's like, we're just going to, well, it was probably humid as hell wherever they were shooting this in the Philippines. So that's mm-hmm. real sweat. Okay. All right. Well, well they, I was, either that or I thought shot, they just took them to Florida. Uh, the, and they shot lie. some of the, the Bangkok stuff <laughs> it would in Bangkok. also work. It's <laughs> true. Even in the, even in the 80s. Possibly but the only every, everybody, and I love that negotiation where he's like, and what I wanted to ask you is like, whose money are we spending here? Because <laughs> I don't think Chuck like brought his wallet even. I, I guess it's it's all Tuck's uh, gun running dough that he's got hung around and he owes him or something. But I feel like if he owed him, we would have that would have been established. I feel like you know to be Chuck fair, is, Army Colonels do make a good bit set, of dough even back a, in the seventies. And if he had had seven years of like combat training and as a prisoner of war, they would have paid that man his money. <laughs> and he has set, seven years of 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 yeah, seven years of extra right. combat and being a colonel on top so he had done at least twenty twenty five years he already spent Vietnam. This point. So yeah, he's got he he's got okay. the money. Maybe he's got yeah. the money. It doesn't matter. That that's what I love about it is it's just like James Bond. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, yeah, it's whatever, you know. Yeah, well, that's true. He's very minimalist. He's living well, in basically we, we like Scarface in the beginning. Once he's spending the money uh, on the early part of that movie, and that's where he's hanging out. All he had to do was his big right. expense was what getting bandit yeah. to bring. Yeah, you noticed that too. He's definitely he's in, living in like I don't think that's California. He's supposed to be. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, Coors Light in a fridge in the 1980s. I don't think you could do that. <laughs> bank, okay, fair. It was banquet. Cor- yes, yes. Coors banquet beer. <laughs> Put the me, tweet down. Just- <laughs> 
stop. Don't tweet, please, guys. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I that that is definitely not California. No, I feel like that Florida. Is definitely like, not uh, uh, Arizona, or yeah, Northern Florida, or deserty like Panhandle. Place. That is that is one hundred percent Florida. <laughs> Chuck Norris is like, yeah. Chuck Norris is like yeah. where my mom is moving. Chuck Norris is one hundred percent Panhandle Florida guy. Like, right, right. I mean, if I feel there's not alligators he can be friends with. He's not going to live there. And that's 100% the vibe you get off of Braddock, especially since you've got the military. You feel like Braddock probably you know, um, ran across the military Jack bases Colton, on the, on the, the gold you know, Michael Douglas's character from Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile somewhere along the way. You know, Tuckhead somewhere. Like they all feel like they run in the same circle uh, somewhere. So, which Loki, by the way, a, a very underrated Michael Douglas performance, oh, yeah. by the way. Uh, people don't remember that movie, but it's pretty good. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% knows him and Tuck <laughs> yeah, very 100% angry. Is run afoul of Indiana Jones by this point. Well, in the 80s? Well, no, not, probably not alive, Indiana Jones. So. I'm not sure how old he, that character would be. <laughs> he was doing point, things. So. That's all yeah. we know. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that, uh, that's true. Yeah. I love, I love these, these characters though, that they're, they're so deep in themselves, but they're also so blank that we can just put all this on them too. That's what makes this movie fun is because you, you can just insert and fill in the blanks as you want. And it's a blast. It's like the Contra game come to life, you know, for, for a kid my age. Oh, don't, no doubt. We're going to get to that because after we yeah, load Chuck up, right, the, we're going to uh, go and make this assault at the camp. And all I could think was like, well, they clearly didn't have enough, uh, you know, thermite and, and, and uh, C4 to really blow anything up. So it's just a lot of sparklers, a lot of sparks going on and eat your heart out for the July. I mean, I, but I, I loved it. I, I, I thought if you're going to have an assault <laughs> on the camp, it needs to be what that dream he had in the beginning, it needs to be that come true. Right. And they more or less replay that. And I, I thought it was incredible. That was a great action set piece. The the whole thing makes me yes. think of the, yes. uh, the action set piece from Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yes. Where Danny yes. McBride is like, okay. Or, Orchestrally conducting and now in all our these remake, explosions. Danny McBride's got to be in this somewhere too. So they're, they're, like that's, that's exactly what I thought of. Yeah, yeah, Danny, yeah, Danny McBride is tough. You're right. Yeah, Danny McBride's tough. So I mean, Danny McBride's no, tough. I uh, no, that would be perfect. Really? But, uh, no, you, you're. That's a great callback, and I'm, I'm not sure of it, but I would bet that Tropic Thunder was winking and nodding to this in a lot of ways. So, but, but I love. A hundred percent, one hundred percent, because you get a shot of yeah. um, Ben Stiller doing the coming out of the water pose. So that's 100%. I know. I, I hadn't thought of it either until we're funny just that having this conversation, this long, but it's a, but it's a heck of a, of an assault together. and an action scene. And Chuck, but Chuck realizes something's wrong. Where the hell is everybody? You know? And of course they got tipped off, you know? I mean, yeah, that has to be the thing. We didn't talk about the, the Ben and his men mm-hmm. are tailing them and the way he kills him with, he grabs the, the, axe with no uh no handle on it and just shoves it through him I mean, that was a hell of a death but i i mean he gets to like the inventive kills in this rival any jason movie i feel like joseph zito like walked off that set walked to this one and was like oh i know how to do this trust me i 
Yeah, he 100% had a notebook, and it's like, well, you did this one, we did this one. Oh, we didn't get to this one, and we didn't get to this one. I've got some ideas. <laughs> you ever seen somebody get have an axe head yeah, rammed through their but, torso? But I'm sure Ernie Ortega was what like, that's fake, right? <laughs> and Chuck Norris you know, is like, he was doing yes, the, the macho man to Jake thing. Like, I want to see the snake bite you first. So, and, and then we're going to, then we're going to know. But uh, no, I, I love it though. I love that, that he does this whole, like, again, assault on the camp, realizes that, <laughs> oh, something's up. They're going on the convoy. Um, and so they take off. And man, I love how they intercept this convoy with that, that boat gets its action scene. It's like the boat's like, hey, I'm here too. Let me get in this thing. I don't know why the boat's Columbo all of a sudden, but you know, the boat, the boat wanted to get in on the action too. And the, man, the only thing I've seen close to this since is from the, the John Rambo or just Rambo movie, the fourth one where just that 25 minutes of just pure carnage that Rambo goes on. It's the same kind of thing, just without any of the effects of the squibs or mm-hmm. and all that was CGI to be, to be honest, but um, which is probably yeah. the best that's ever looked. But mm-hmm. um, this is incredible. I love how they take out this whole convoy. You know, Chuck comes up out of the water with that gun and, you know, blowing these guys away. It's, it's, it's what you want in this movie, right? It's that, blood fist pumping moment right yeah 100 percent. and this movie does deliver on that that is a great sequence with the camp and it's staged and and shot in a really it's staged and shot really well i think the whoever responsible for the choreography of this scene did just did a bang up job it's one of those deals where you could tell that they they knew, okay, we can do this once. We are going to work until we can get yeah. it right because your time is the cheapest thing we can do. Like your your time costs way less than explosives, even in the Philippines. So we are going to figure out how to do this and we are gonna get it right and we're <laughs> gonna do it in one take and we're gonna make it happen. So well, I feel like it was it's week, it's perfectly choreographed because it doesn't on feel like in this it's movie choreographed. So clearly they ran them right, through. That's going to be like you say multiple times, the There's several times when that kind of thing happens in this movie, where Chuck's dragging a guy and he throws him in the water just as he jumps on the boat, and it's very James Bond esque. Like I feel like, especially like the John Glenn bonds you know and he he spans a couple of eras of bonds they feel like a lot of that same kind of action beat stuff and i and i love that stuff i mean i grew up on it so it's it's just in my brain and i'm seeing this and i'm going like yeah it's the same mm-hmm. it's the same kind of idea um but i loved of course that the backup plan of course we, we've got a helicopter we got to get these guys too and i knew he had to go down but i feel like if this movie's made today tuck would somehow survive but i hate and one hand i love that he goes down swinging and he you know, has to shoot all these to shoot the patrol boat with his gun before he gets killed but i also hate that tuck had to die for for everybody because it sucks because i love that character Yeah, it's it's really disappointing that Tuck had to die, but um, I I feel like that's pretty much the default uh, choice you make with a character like that. You know, he's got to he's got to die doing the right thing because we've established that he is not quite the mercenary that he tries to tell himself to be. He's still got a little bit of red blooded America in there, even though he's uh, Hank. Man, he's a know, total capitalist. He's as uh, red blooded American as anybody in the uh, movie. Lawless Southeast <laughs> Asia. We we he still has to do the right thing at the end. 
Yeah, right. there's, there, I mean, there that, really that is nothing get, more get his money out of that. No, but I love more how American that works than, than and that they, a, uh, you know, they blow the, the patrol boat up. Like it's a great line. I don't know who the helicopter pilot was. And Chuck tells him where he's going. He's like, oh, shit. You know, it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> I know what this is going to end like. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's great, though, man. but it's a perfect. I mean, it's a perfect Magnum P.I. ending, too, where they burst into the, the press conferences. This guy's spewing his last lies. <laughs> and boom, I got POWs on my arm. And it's almost like Chuck just you know puts his thumbs up and then that freeze frame. And that's it. And I was like, wow, yeah, this, we ran out of money in film. We had one shot to get that done. And they got it done in like 20 days. Yeah. I, well, I feel like that's not necessarily an issue where they ran out of money mm-hmm. in film. I feel like that's that is the happy ending you're you're supposed to get out of a self contained. Well, let, let me rephrase that then. It's not, it's not so much that this was wrong thing to do. It's, the, it's the exactly the right thing to do. It just feels like I think POW today they would over explain so it and let it like go on like longer. The, whereas this movie knows, boom through the door, point made, we're done. You know, and I I appreciate the economy of the movement. To, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier. And it feels like a very Chuck Norris point. Chuck wanted a pro Chuck wanted a happy ending where the POWs get rescued and uh, um, the soldiers at least are vindicated. So he got he definitely got what he wanted. And I think the movie's better for it because I think that's how you got to end a movie like this. And the fact that it just comes, they burst in, you get that big moment. You don't need to see like where this goes. You don't need to see how this shakes out. You don't need to see the way the Vietnamese double back or, or the government worms their way out of this. You, you don't need to see it. You don't want to see it. You want to see those guys coming in. The fallout is going to be the fallout. Who cares? The important thing is, is Chuck walks in the door. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, and, you know, to compare it to that, um, First Blood Part 2, it'll no be a couple of years later. POWs it's a much more there. dour ending. Here's you know, 15 that, of them. When, when Rambo and, and Troutman have that sort of shouting match on the tarmac after he gets back and he, you know, tells him it's not enough. It'll never be enough. You know, he kind of walks off into the nothingness after that. Um that, you know, that's a much sadder tale of it. Whereas this one's more like, yeah, you know, we got them. And this, it, like I say, the happy ending is what they go for because I don't think Golden Globus does subtly. I mean, I don't think it's in their, their, um, you know, mission statement at all. And this movie doesn't, it, it's got moments where it does that, but this ending is not one of them. And it, and it shouldn't be either. I'm going to say that that's a right move. It's it very much feels like the taking a page. If you had told me this movie had been done by Dino De Laurentiis, it would make perfect sense. This is very much the uh, when my monkey cry, ev- when my monkey die, everyone cry. A uh, sort of philosophy of we are not going to strike like a Chuck Norris. We're not going to have pinpoint striking. We're not going to have economy of motion. When it's time to hit you, we are going to club you over the head with the biggest club we can find and you will get the message that this is the happy ending. And it doesn't matter what happens to Braddock. It doesn't matter what happens to the POWs. It doesn't matter if they, 
nothing if none of them get to leave Vietnam ever again. Yes, yeah, so that's exactly what it is. This is the, the men that were sent off to do this thing and a government weasel finally get the freeze frame of actually, truth. On the government the weasels from two different countries are put in their place. It. You know, and that's the whole point. And and I think and an interesting way it almost makes this a protest movie in some ways uh, because of that. It's like F you, you know, cause this is, these guys are real and damn it, you know, acknowledge it and, and move on because, um, and, and realize that instead of, you know, shoving it under some damn press conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one's gonna. Nothing is gonna improve until both sides acknowledge that this is what has been happening. And as much as both governments want to say, okay, well, that's all in the past. It's clearly not in the past for some people. It was clearly wasn't in the past for these POWs or for uh, James Hong or anyone involved in these these torture mm-hmm. camps. So you know, it's you. You want to look the other way. Yeah, exactly. And it's time for us to admit what our final I'm thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn that. ratings America are going for to this movie. The so, Ron, what are you watching? Vietnam is going to be forced to admit that this is happening. You know, it's funny. I'm not a the biggest fan of the cinematic works of Charles W. Chuck Norris. Uh, that's a joke for my wife, but um, I think this is one of the better uses of him as a performer. Uh, so I'm going to go with a large popcorn. This movie is a lot better than I remember it was. It has some very iconic moments when it's time to blow up huts. They blow up huts real good. Everybody likes that. Um, it's a simple story, but it's told well. It's great use of Norris, it's great use of him, Emmett Walsh. It's great use of James Hong. You, they get a lot of mileage out of the people that they have, and they get a lot of mileage out of the story idea that they've yeah, got. Yeah, you know what? 100% agree on that. It's way better than you remember Chuck. it being, and it's I, I way know. better because the performances so, in it are a whole lot better so, than yeah, the I'm going to go deserves. large popcorn. This movie is way better I'm not than, talking necessarily than about Chuck. I'm talking about everybody they surround him with. This is a genius level of casting. Perfect weasels in David Tress and James Hong. Perfect evil mean mugger in, in uh, Ernie Ortega. And perfect sidekick in Emmett Walsh. Like you, you can't beat that combo. And the movie, again... Is it's well done because Joseph Zito knows how to do low budget on point stuff and knows how to get the the right buzz out of the audience at the right moment. So just like his Friday the thirteenth, this is one that definitely still holds up and stands up and is, is worth a watch and worth a revisit if it's been a while for you, or worth a first visit if this is your first time to it. So I'm with you, large popcorn on missing in action and a lot of fun. And I would say pay, I mean you could pair missing in action and invasion USA and, and have a pretty good double feature. I don't know that I could ever possibly recommend missing in action too. Um and that movie is horrendously awful. Um, on, on so many levels. Um, one, it's poorly made. It's terrible. And two, it's just so just dumb. I've only seen part of, of missing an action three and I fell asleep on the couch trying to get through. So I don't know. I don't have much of a say on that one, but as, as far as the series goes, I don't think there's much of one, but this, this one movie. Yeah, totally works.
Yeah, I definitely think this works too, and it's definitely worth your time. And it's you will be surprised. It's not about what you can bring to this movie that improves it. And you'll be surprised by the connections that you make in this movie. And it's not necessarily because it's just bare bones stupidity. It's because they actually leave things unexplained. Yeah, again, that's why I, I think we, we've laid in a lot of stuff you, on it. You're because led it's such in the a, direction where you can canvas. kind of put it's these things together. World. It allows you to and it's, create your and own it's adventure out of it. way more clever than we, it has any right basically to Basically, we, we, we re got the uh, writer on it. We've put in a couple actors. Who do you want to play Braddock in the the remake that we're, we're going to do? we got the director and the writer and the, the comic relief and Danny McBride. But you know, who do you want to play the new Chuck? in our fantasy missing in action. Cause I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of, you know, modern people, like who would I stick in this role that could pull this off? And I don't know. <laughs> like, I really don't. Ooh. Yeah. I was trying to think ex athlete. Yeah. I think that you would mm -hmm. almost have to go with somebody like if he's still in shape, uh, Rampage Jackson, mm -hmm. because he played he, he he was good in the B.A. Baracus role in that he was pretty good in that. Like he's not great, he's not a great actor, but he's a very good physical presence. I really think that somebody like Marshawn Lynch, who's in the um, second season or the uh, third season of um, Westworld. He plays just a big mercenary for hire heavy guy, but he's got a I, I little to say bit too, uh, somewhere in this charisma. cast. He can he's be good. He can be bad. He can be in between. I don't care. I need I Walton Goggins to make for a while. He could probably I need, I need Walton Goggins. Good, in he could probably do this role somewhere. really well. Um, oh, well, I, I thought that was Danny McBride. Danny McBride was going to be Tuck. So, so it, I guess it depends on the age of the 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 uh, Braddock that we get. Um, but well, who you think if you want sleazy politician? Uh man, that could be a lot oh, of that's people a good right point. now. Um, <sighs> they could pull that, that off, but he could do. He's a, he's a little on the he's a little on the older side at this point. Like I kind of feel like you need somebody even I'm that could still, you know the false Jason Clark politician is going to be like William Jason Sadler. Clark could be could that's, be your sleazy politician all day. A little too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you, we get. I, I think we've just fantasy booked this entire movie. So make this happen, canon come back. Oh, um, so or maybe more. That's Vista. a good one. That's a good one right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Golden Globus. Eve, Eve oh, Marvis. Yeah, well, Golden Globus too. I mean, I think I think we just call uh, our our uh, Panamasian, be, uh, uh, Pan, Pan Asian what, American uh, uh, friends. What wrong ethnicity do you get to be? <laughs> Basically, your, your we just get the bloodline from WWE. We just get those guys, and, and they can. Roman can be that. I think either of the Uso brothers would be pretty hella heavies. Those guys are pretty mean. <laughs> so. I, get, I Roman Reigns is looking for a Roman Reigns is looking for a movie role. He mm. see, I don't know that we have one of those anymore. Um, dang, I think no. that would be a good choice. Um, I don't know who that would be. I, I, I really don't. But see. who do you get to be, James uh, Hong? You, it would have to be a period piece. You, you'd have to you'd have to set this in the period. It'd be in the eighties. There's no way you can shoot no. this in modern day, obviously, because the the time wouldn't work. 
I feel like since we're uh, mm-hmm. I feel like if you're I feel like if you know you're what? doing this I think he can do it with just whatever yeah. Yeah. Pan Pacific move. actor we can find I think a good choice he's a little young for it would be Steven Yoon mm-hmm. he looks the he he's the guy who looks the most like uh, the sleazy faux military diplomat guy. He's I, I kind of want hair. Rick Yoon to uh, be. He looks like Vin. the kind of dude that if your government uh, was going to put you like in front of a bunch off. of cameras, that that these days that would be the person Stick. they would choose. I thought it was Rick. So, no, okay, I'm wrong. No, I, I'm no, I'm talking. I'm talking about the Steven bad guy Yoon. from Die Another let's Day. Get, let's get his name right. Yeah, Rick, you. No. Yeah, there, there are two. So. Uh, Glenn from The Walking Dead? No, it's Steven. But you know what? That would also work. Yeah. It's a- oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about. Yeah. I was thinking, right. yeah, I was thinking about he, Glenn from Rick The Walking Dead. Much, I mean, he was also the bad guy in the past and the Furious. He's done a lot of great, interesting <laughs> action slash. He's, he's been, he's been a, a good. Um, doing real movies that went Asian off. Asian stereotype heavy for, you know, many different things. So. Um, Ah, mm. yeah. So, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I think I think the James Hong role you could. If you know you what? Wanted to, you know who's you know, still around? Fun, you could flip uh, it Bolo Young. Flip let's it do, let's get, get Bolo Young you know, back. Get you know, he can age into the James Hong role. Lily yeah. Bing, or you're one of the. I, I'm saying her name wrong. What is it? Um, shoot, you know what I'm talking about. Um, in the Meg. Um, I gotta find a name. I gotta find that name because I can't say that. I'll get destroyed for not knowing it. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. I don't watch it. Come back for this. I know who you're talking but, about. Um, I don't remember her name. Uh, Lee Beanbing. Okay, let me say. You know, if you want to ginger flip the uh, the train character, you get Lee Beanbing to do it. She's a lot of fun so, to make. Why say. not? If it was ten years ago, you get Michelle Yeoh. So, but Lee Beanbing. Yeah, she. <laughs> I, I think. I think. I think, uh, yeah, she might be a little beyond the. Well, this movie's Great never going to get made anyway, so whatever. But uh, you know, you know what though? Uh, yeah, because I, I use the AI to create the uh, plot summary. Well. I'm now going to go program it for that, see if I can but... see what it would come up with. <laughs> that. Yeah. Didn't they perfect. all get run out of the business? I said Andrew Globus have a That's nephew a, or a cousin the way, or the way this you came know, together some is one of those amazing Hollywood shithead. How did that happen? Uh, Nepo baby who, yes, who wants to make a name for him or herself. So, I mean, that's the story of of the the movie town in in America. But this has been our story here on this episode, folks. Thanks for joining us. You can follow the show's social media <laughs> at Filmstrip Pod on most of those platforms that still exist. Uh, if you go to filmstrippodcast.com, you'll you'll uh, see a link to all of our distribution. You'll find a, a where we're on all of your podcast platforms of choice: Apple, Google, Spotify, all those. Uh, there's our link to our letterbox page that. Eventually, we'll get around to organizing, things like that. But if you go to Filmstrip Pod, mostly you're, you're just going to get uh, lots of tweets and, and messages from Ron. And occasionally, me and Lindsay will pop in and let you know what's going on with the with the show. And uh, we'll have a lot of back and forth and a lot of fun. Leave us a positive review. Helps other people find the show. Share it on your socials as well because we appreciate the support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.
Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.